everyone, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journeys of Scientists. I'm Brian Stanley. I'm a physics PhD student at Michigan State University doing physics education research. I'm an outreach coordinator for the graduate student organization WAMPS. This podcast consists of informal conversations with graduate students with the goal of learning a little bit about their work, their interests and hobbies outside of work, and the experiences that brought them to where they are today. If you or someone you know is interested in joining an episode of Journeys of Scientists, please email me at the email provided in the show notes. This week we are joined by Aklam Solomon, a neuroscience PhD student at Michigan State University. It's a really fun conversation. Enjoy! Welcome, Aklam. Can you briefly introduce yourself? What do you study? What kind of year are you in your program? Yes, uh, I am Ahlam Solomon. I am fourth-year uh, PhD student in the neuroscience program at Michigan State University. Uh, I like mainly do research about Alzheimer's disease. Like we all know, it's a very, 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 very hot topic nowadays. Uh, and I, um, uh, I focus on studying the or understanding the pathological trajectory of Alzheimer's disease. But mainly, we work with mice or experimental models of uh, Alzheimer's disease, not mm. brain tissues. Um, it's mainly with experimental models to understand some mechanisms behind the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. Oh, okay. Can you, like, in my head, I know what Alzheimer's is. It's just like, oh, your memory kind of goes by. Can you kind of, like, give, like, a more solid definition of, like, what it actually is? Mm-hmm. Alzheimer's disease is number the leading a leading neurodegenerative disorder and when we say neurodegenerative disorder means that neurodegeneration generally generally means that neurons are dying like the brain Mm. is losing neurons uh and there are so many neurological disorders like uh parkinson is a neurodegenerative disorder um Frontal temporal dementia is a um, neurogenitive disorder. So there are so many, but Alzheimer's disease is uh, the leading um, neurogenitive disease. And the, all neurogenitive disorders, they differ in the symptoms or the clinical mm. signs and the cause or the pathological cause of what's happening in the brain and where in the brain. So when you lose, when you have like abnormal um, uh, process going on in your brain, it will be, the ramifications will be different depending on where this is happening. Like uh, like in, in, in uh, Alzheimer's disease, um, the pathology starts in the hippocampus area mm-hmm. in what we call like limbic system. And this is the area where it um, um, regulates like the long-term, uh, the memory formation, learning, emotions, and then it starts to spread to other parts of the brain until it affects the prefrontal cortex here, where we were able to make our judgment, our decisions. Mm. So this is like, that's why these are the latest symptoms that Alzheimer patient develop. And usually the first or the early signs is like short-term memory loss. So it depends where the pathology happens. In Parkinson's disease, it's neurogenerative disorder, but because the, the craziness that's happened in the brain is in a different area, so it's mm. different symptoms. 
Um, so that, this is so Alzheimer's disease is a neurodegenerative disorder, and um, people now, or scientists to be specific, they don't know like the cause which initiate the pathology. So we know what the pathology in Alzheimer's uh, brain. Uh, like we have proteins in our brain and these proteins start to behave in an um, abnormal way. And that's what led to ultimately neuronal loss, a neuronal death, and then all the signs. But what actually is happening to initiate these proteins to behave in an abnormal way, that's such the, the outstanding uh, research question in the broadly in the field. Um, and I guess like many people will know that um, key signs or symptoms of Alzheimer's disease is memory loss, which as I said, it starts with short-term short -term mm -hmm. memory loss. Like you will forget like where you put your keys, where you park your car. And then as the pathology progresses, it will affect um, the long-term memory. Like we start to forget what happened like months ago. And then years ago, along with other symptoms, it's not only memory loss, like patients uh, in um, late stages will start to, um, unfortunately, they will go back to childhood-like mm -hmm. uh, behavior. Um, problems with motor coordination, problem, problems with speaking, having hard time to go to the bathroom, like it's... It, it progresses like severely. Um, so yeah, and in terms of um, treatment, there is no treatment for Alzheimer's disease. Like there is no disease modifying agents. It's just the treatments that out there, it's supportive to, to delay the progression of the pathology or improve the quality of life of patients, but they are not treating the underlying pathology because we don't understand the cause of the pathology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's the difference between Alzheimer's and um, dementia? Or are they the same thing? Um, Alzheimer's disease is one of the dementia uh, disorders. Okay. Because dementia okay. in general, it's like problems with information processing, memory, and learning, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so dementia could be... Uh, mm -hmm. Dementia could be like just a normal aging um, trajectory, like people who age and reach 80, 90s, 100s mm -hmm. could develop dementia as just normal way of aging. Um, sometimes people can have dementia as a result of a stroke or head mm -hmm. trauma, and it's not Alzheimer's disease. So the dementia is as a broad um, term. Okay. Or when, when the person having problem with memory, learning, information processing, and all of that. Uh, and Alzheimer's disease is one of the causes or diseases of dementia. Um, okay. So you mentioned uh, like your actual like research, like you're kind of like testing it on, on mice or, or rats or something like that. Yes. So... How how does that work? Do you first first like are these kind of like pathological stuff like present in mice to begin with, and then if so, like how do you determine that? Or yeah, so um, 
So now it's sometimes specifically with neurogenerative diseases, you can get the brain of patients mm -hmm. and study it. So we have to use experimental animals, which are basically mice, rats, some labs would use monkeys. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's very, very expensive, of course. It's not, this is not the, the, the norm. But mm -hmm. most people would use mice or rats. And these mice, um, rats, like these rodent models generally, they have the pathology in different, by different ways or different mechanisms. We, um, it's sometimes by genetic manipulation of the genetic mm -hmm. makeup of the, of the animal. Uh, introducing a mutation in one of their proteins that are involved in uh, the pathology of Alzheimer's disease will kind of recapitulate uh, some aspects of the pathology and it can be a helpful tool to study like um, how this pathology change over age, for example, or um, trying certain candidate of therapeutic candidate and see how this therapeutic option can help the pathology or not. Um, so, so one, by genetic manipulation of the animal. Two, is by directly injecting the, the protein of uh, question to the brain of uh, mice. It's, like, it's injected in the brain, is using certain type of surgeries to inject the brain while the mice is alive, is sleeping and alive. Mm -hmm. And then they can recover and you can leave the mice, the mouse to like live for X months, depends on your question. And then you collect the brains later and see if the pathology develops or not and how it develops. So there are different ways to develop uh, or to induce the pathology in the rodents. Um, honestly, and this is actually its dilemma in the research um, in the field now that at the end of the day, this rodent model, like they don't represent what's happening in humans, right? Mm -hmm. Like in humans, you, in Alzheimer's disease specifically, in the human, they don't have genetic changes in these proteins. It's the protein are normal, their genetic makeup are normal. Most of them, like um, most of them are familiar and they have some mutation, but this is not the common. And all of a sudden this protein behaves in an abnormal way and develop a pathology. It's not. This is not what's happening in the rodents that we use in, in, in research. So a lot of people are against actually using the experimental uh, rodent models um, because they don't tell us anything. But on the other hand, this is a tool, mm -hmm. a useful tool actually, to answer some questions, keeping in mind that you can't blindly extrapolate the findings mm -hmm. to human. Like you have to have different stages until you reach out and answer for the human-related disease. Yeah, it at least like shines a light on like some possible exactly. areas. Yeah, for... proof of concept or, or something. Yeah. But yeah. it's not the full answer, of course. Yeah, very interesting. How did you get involved with this lab? What led you to do like this type of research? Uh, so, okay. So I actually, I have... Um, Bachelor of Pharmaceutical Sciences. So actually, I'm a pharmacist. Like my background mm -hmm. is pharmacy, and uh, I, I got my degree in, um, in uh, from the School of Pharmacy in Cairo University in in Egypt, my home country. 
And I worked for some time as research and teaching assistant in the Department of Clinical Pharmacy. And so I was I was pharmacist. And um, I started my master's there, but I didn't like it. I didn't mm-hmm. like, I, I, I liked the science that I studied, but I didn't like the practice of clinical pharmacy and or community pharmacy. And um, I wanted to do basic uh, science research, um, and which will will would lead me uh, help me to utilize the knowledge that I gained throughout my undergrad studies because I learned a lot during um, the five years of undergrad. Like I learned mm-hmm. a lot of pharmacology basics, biochemistry, and chemistry. Like I got expo- exposed to wide range of, of science, smooth sciences actually. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I want to do basic science research, but um, in Egypt, um, I don't know if you know, but in Egypt, it's not, there's no much resources uh, to to conduct like um, impactful uh, research there. That's why I had to apply to study abroad mm-hmm. with my husband as well. Like my husband and I, like we studied together and applied together, and. My um, when I came here and started to take like the grad school courses, I um, I liked the, the field of neurogeneration or neurogenerative diseases than like other neuroscience specialized um, topics because as I said, it's there is no there is no treatment and mm-hmm. you don't know what's happening and what's the cause and it's it's a good area where you can really contribute to the knowledge uh, the the body of knowledge in in alzheimer's disease or neurogenitive disorders in general to help ultimately to help patients that are suffering um, out mm-hmm. there um so yeah this is the reason why i i i, I picked um alzheimer's disease research okay very interesting you mentioned that you like start you started off in like pharmacology and then you, know, you switch. Um, what led you to, in the first place, want to study pharmacology? Mm, good question. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, it just uh, in in my high school, like I was, I was very good at like the biological sciences in general mm-hmm. and chemistry. And when um, after like after I finished high school and was ready to choose what what undergrad school to go, um, so in Egypt we have this thing like usually like the top ranked students in the high school, they are expected to go to the the high undergrad schools and the school of medicine, pharmacy, dentistry are among these um, top high, like top. Um, undergrad schools or like universities. So like my choice in the beginning was based on this expectation for me as mm-hmm. top ranked student. Uh, and I didn't want to go to the school of medicine. I don't want to be a doctor, but I love science and biology and chemistry. That's why I, I, cho- I chose um, uh, school of pharmacy. And I didn't study the pharmacology of pharmacological sciences until like second year or third year of undergrad and I loved it so much and I was getting the highest grades in these um, um, topics of pharmacological sciences 
throughout my whole undergrad and um, um, because it's it's very like you have to use very high intellectual skills to be able to understand pharmacology of a drug interaction with receptors in the body like it's a lot of science going on more than the chemistry for me um so yeah so like honestly like the choice was based on like my expectation as student mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it yeah okay well, well thank you for sharing um when you and your husband were looking to to study abroad uh how how did you end up at like msu to me that just seems like very like oh if i'm applying abroad to anywhere there's you know a zillion schools and places in, in the whole world. How how do you choose and what's that process sort of look like? Okay. So I also I need to give you some history. So husband applied in a in a there is a year like my son was very young. So mm-hmm. I wasn't able to apply with him in in the first in the first cycle, first mm-hmm. round. Because I, I needed some time to study that you know the GRE. And for us GRE is very hard because it's not mm-hmm. our language. Mm-hmm. And so my husband applied the first round in 10 universities and he got rejected from the 10 places. And it was frustrating. The second round, second, the, the next year, we applied together. And so the top choice for us was to go is a place that where we both accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's the top choice. And uh, I applied in eight places and I was accepted in four and he is the same. So our his acceptance um, um, percentage increased like compared to the previous mm-hmm. year. And among the places that we were accepted in, actually, like something that I will tell you, we didn't apply to MSU. I will tell you how we came to MSU. Mm-hmm. We applied to several places and among them was University of South Florida. And compared to other offers, that was the best for us. So we moved to University of South Florida, and we started the PhD there. And we stayed there for two years, something. And then the advisors that we were working with uh, moved to Michigan State. And um, they wanted us to come with them. So we, I I transferred, I I applied for MSU and transferred my credit to to become a Michigan State University uh, student. Uh, which was for me was a golden opportunity because um, Michigan State is a is a prestigious uh, institution and uh, uh, there are so many things I can do as a student and in terms of the professional development that I need to develop uh, for me for my career uh, at MSU compared to USF is is a lot more so it was a good opportunity for me so this is how I transferred from Florida to Michigan by applying to Michigan State University. And I'm here since um, since 2018. Very interesting. That's a, do, is your husband also in a similar field? Yeah, he's actually next next to my lab. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, it just sounded like a, like a, a very strong coincidence of like, oh, both your advisors moved to, <laughs> to Michigan. And he was, he was my colleague also in the School of Pharmacy. Mm. So like we started everything together. <laughs> <laughs> very, very cool. Um, so you mentioned like professional development sort of stuff. Like I know we're in like this teaching college science class. Like, are you interested in teaching or is there like other kind of professional developments? Like what are your kind of like future career goals that 
you were you were working towards? Uh, so I I guess my interests it goes now um, uh, to where um, I want to teach or mm-hmm. mentor, and um, it's based on like what I like to be involved with and based on the feedback that I get from my advisor and my colleagues, I find that I best fit in, in, in activities or areas where I act as advocate for communities, advocate for graduate students, advocate for underrepresented students, advocate for international students, like to, to advocate for changes that are needed for certain communities and at the same time, I like to to mentor and teach. That's why I I uh, we met in the um, the the class for the teaching college science because it's um, I wanted to learn the evidence based approaches to be a better teacher or a better mentor uh, for whoever you will teach um, or mentor later. So this is my interest, is to teach and mentor at the same time, try to invoke changes that could be helpful for my community or any community that mm-hmm. I belong to, their student or or um, as international student or anything. Um, so I I don't I don't know if I necessarily continue as a um, researcher, academia, uh, because um based on what I see from my advisors and my committee members, academia is very, very tough and it's it, there is no work-life balance and mm-hmm. people struggle a lot just to secure grants all the time. And it's highly competitive and um, out of stresses. So I, I don't know if uh, honestly, I don't I don't know if I want to continue with this, but definitely I want to seek a career where I teach more. Um, and this is something I can do, like, either if I, if I have a lab or no. So mm-hmm. it's not necessary that I need to be advisor to uh, teach. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I relate 100% uh, in, in that sense. It's like uh, the research, like, I don't know if it's my thing that I need to do forever. I'd much rather just teach and kind of like help advise students, you know, help reach whatever their goals or plans are. Exactly. Because working in research, it, unfortunately, it's not about doing your research. There are other things will impact you doing your research. And these are the things that I don't like. I like the research itself, the science itself. Mm-hmm and asking questions and try to answer it. But there are other ties there that you need to deal with, which I'm, I'm not sure if I like to deal with this or, or no. I, I don't have the answer yet, actually. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so what are some of like your interests or hobbies or activities like outside, like you mentioned like, you know, academia research, you know, the, the work-life balance is, you know, a little rough at times, but how, like, how do you kind of manage that? How do you? Uh, so I, I, I am a mom, I have a son. Mm-hmm. So of course, if I have free time, it's um, devoted to my son, mm-hmm. not necessarily for myself, honestly. Yeah. Um, so if I have time, which I try to create, so mm-hmm. like, I try to normalize that it's okay as a graduate student not to work over the weekend or late at night, like my husband does, but I don't like to do it because mm-hmm. 
I try to do it only if it's needed, like a deadline or paper that's need to publish this week and I need to get the data. But to do it all the time, it's not healthy and not helpful for our life. Mm -hmm. So I, I always try to demarcate the work time to my personal time or my family time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to devote a lot of time for my son and my family. I play with him, lead with him. He is now bigger. He's nine years old. Of course, mm-hmm. he's not demanding as before, but still, like I need to be with him, teach him, uh, play with him. And uh, he's smart, so I like to interact with him in so many topics. Uh, I love reading uh, and he loves reading as well. So it's a good time that we read together. Um, and uh, 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 I love uh, to listen to music. So sometimes I just stay set, like doing nothing, but just mm. listening to music and, and hang out with my friends. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I try to create, trying to create mm-hmm. some balance in my work life. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't say that I'm successful, of course. No, but I'm, I'm trying. What are like some of your favorite things to do with the, your son? Like, where's like fun, you know, you know, activities that you do to have fun with each other? He, uh, he loves to uh, write and sketch um, comic books. He's, oh, very, cool. he's very creative and has good imagination. So sometimes I would like that I give him an idea mm-hmm. and ask him to create a comic book about it like an oh. event or something imagine this and give me so he would like sketch it write the the, the dialogue between the characters and we uh, we read it together so this is something that we do a lot and in addition to he he and i love to play board games together we have a lot of board games it's like because we are competitors all the time so <laughs> So it, it's fun and it makes me just forget about mm-hmm. the lab and the work yeah. and just absorb it in the competition mm-hmm. that I have with him. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing else matters then. You can just like exactly. focus and just like I be need in to the win. moment. Yep. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's all oh, right. I really like the com- the comic book like activity or that you do. Like, uh, do you find you're like yourself to be like an artistic person too? Or is this kind of like. No, me and all. I just give the idea. He is. He 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 has a talent, and I'm trying to help him and to foster this talent. But no, I'm just give the idea, mm-hmm. and he would do the, the whole thing. <laughs> that that's super great. That's super great that you like let him like still express himself and do that. That sounds that's really cool. Yeah. Um. So you said your 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 child's nine. Yeah, he is. Um. Uh, he will be nine in May. Honestly. Okay. Okay. So, like, how has like the whole like kind of COVID experience been with like at home life of now I'm in a lab and now I have your kids not in school or you know yeah. it's always in the in the rain. How have you kind of like overcome this? So, uh, yeah, frankly, like the three months of the lo- the, the the lockdown, the quarantine, mm-hmm. were were not good at all for him and for us. Like. Oh, obviously, because like during this, like from March to June, we had a strict quarantine that we were not allowed to see anybody or mm-hmm. like, like do anything. 
and even we're doing like the grocery like it's either me or my husband to do the grocery and quickly and and so it was very 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 rough for him as a young boy that is not allowed to do anything that he will he was able before and um and also it was challenging because we were working from home so working from home with a boy that had all this energy mm-hmm. that he needs to to use it um it wasn't easy uh and it affected my schedule sometimes like i had to just spend the day with him mm-hmm. and after he goes to bed i just spend the night working uh so that made my sleeping schedule also overturned. So mm-hmm. it it wasn't it wasn't fun. But then when we started to um, go back uh, to the um, here, the our research building opened in June. Um, he also started to have his summer camp with a lot of precaution, and he, he was super happy when he started mm-hmm. again seeing kids, seeing teachers, doing the activities that he he loved. He loves, but still, like, yes, now we don't have this strict quarantine, but sometimes it's hard to to convince him that there are something that we still can't do. Like, mm-hmm. I personally, I'm not comfortable to go to, to restaurants yet. Mm-hmm. So he, whenever he asks, like, I just say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll grab the food and that's it. Um, playing closely with neighbors or so, it's also... Um, it's not easy, but for his school, the school is he goes to in-person classes for his school. Um, thankfully, they, they give us the options of virtual or in-person. I, I, I picked the in-person because it, it, no, like he, it would, mm-hmm. would have been even harder if the, uh, the class was um, um, uh, virtual for him. So going in person now classes, it helps a little bit to alleviate the problems that we still have with the pandemic. And some we try to make it up like that we go to park together and or go to play to places that we know that it will be safe to play together. So just trying it, it's not either trying to still having fun with him. But at the same time, be cautious for um, for the pandemic. Um, now it's getting better. I can I can't complain compared mm-hmm. to like a year ago. A year it's, ago, yeah. You know, it's 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 way way better. But it's, it's still getting. I think I hope I'm hoping it will get even better uh, with the vaccinations. But um, yeah. Okay. How is like your? You said you were able to go back into like the lab to do your work. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we started to like come back slowly since Mm -hmm. June and like with some restrictions um, I had to I had to stay home for another two months because I had foot surgery which also Mm -hmm. impacted me a little bit but it's it's not bad it's not bad yeah okay yeah it's been over a year since I've been in my in my office (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um okay how many like about how big is like your actual research lab like people wise like is it a large group small group no it's small group it's uh my advisor me uh another uh the lab manager 
and the director of the mass spec unit, which is who is part because my my um, uh, my advisor is a director of mass spec unit here in Grand Rapids um, campus. So yeah, we are just four members, which is good actually. Some people like the um, the big labs. I like the small labs because I I get more attention from the advisor. In the big labs, you will have this hierarchy, and sometimes you can get into connection with the, the advisor. It, it depends, but for me, I, I like it. Okay. You said you're at the Grand Rapids campus, is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. Is it? Okay. That's just happened. Is there a reason why it's in Grand Rapids versus, or this is just where the lab happens to be? Or this, this is our uh, the par- uh, our department that the, the translation in neuroscience, uh, mm-hmm. all the faculty are here in the oh, okay. Grand Rapids, in the building, uh, the Grand Rapids Research Center. Um, yeah, I just, like, okay. when we moved, we just started here. Like, I didn't start in Lansing and moved. Which the oh, okay. Okay. Very cool. I, I, I am not from <laughs> Michigan. Like, I didn't even know there was a Grand Rapids campus, so. <laughs> oh, really? I think the Grand Rapids people need to to do better job in marketing the Grand Rapids <laughs> campus because, yeah, like, oh, just using the MSU website, mm-hmm. not not everybody will, will get that it's, there's another campus. Yeah. I don't know. It's underrepresented, actually. <laughs> how, do you, how do you like Grand Rapids? Uh, I like it. It's, uh, I, I know, I don't live in the downtown, the, build, the, the research building in the downtown, mm-hmm. but I don't live in that downtown. I live in a small, quiet township because this mm-hmm. is where the good school districts, so usually I, I, I live where the good districts are mm-hmm. uh, it's quiet and family friendly a lot of parks um yeah some people like the bigger cities i like the small cities i'm mm-hmm. fine living here i can do something still here um but i yeah. like it yeah. very nice yeah i've only been like a couple times i just like oh I, I bring my bike and I just, I, I bring my bike and I ride different places around Michigan. And so I remember like one time during the summer, I rode around Grand Rapids to see what it was all about. It, it seemed nice. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm going to kind of like wrap things up. I kind of like to end with um, a question about like, if you had any advice um, to students who are either just starting graduate school or thinking about going into graduate school of just like, you know, what to look out for, how to can make that transition, you know, just really any sort of advice. <laughs> so my, from my experience, again, like everything from my experience and some of the experience of my friends and colleagues, um, grad school, yes, it, it seems challenging and it is challenging. It's different from undergrad, um, obviously. But just my advice is don't be frustrated quickly. It needs some, not some degree, a lot of persistence. And don't let anybody um, to put you down. You know, look, we all can do what we want if we learn the skills. So it's grad school is a matter, for me, a matter of skills, set of skills. If you learn these skills and get good practice, you will you will do it. Uh, no matter how long it takes, um, I have been. It's it's taking some time for me. I had so many challenges uh, that I faced, but I'm 
I'm, I know that I'm getting there. So don't be frustrated. It's something that we all have been through, challenges and struggles, and being desperate, frustrated, specifically if you're international or, or domestic even, but away from your family is another, another challenge. Um, we all have been through this, but just be persistent and you will achieve what you want to achieve. The second important thing um, when you choose a mentor or advisor for your thesis, this is the most important thing uh, to choose. Uh, uh, after a hard experience, uh, it's it's not about the research interest or the field or whatever. These are things are important, but if you like the research question or the research uh, field but you are not getting the mentorship that you need, it's not worth it. It, it will make your life harder. So choose the good mentor, the good advisor who can support you, who can, who believe actually, who believes in, in your capabilities and support you and will support you after graduation to help you navigate different options for your career. Um, PI or mentor that will continuously give you um, constructive feedback. Uh, a mentor that always sees, sees through you for your uh, strengths and help you empower your weaknesses. Uh, these things I learned the hard way and it's really, really, it's the most important thing in a grad school. Choosing the good and the right mentor for you. Again, it's it just, everybody, we are all different. So the right mentor for me will be not right for Brian, for example. So try to choose the right mentor for you uh, based on your, on your needs. And then anything else will, will be manageable and easier. Uh, but if you don't have a good mentor that you need, other things will be harder. So, yeah, this is my takeaway <laughs> from guys' school. Perfect. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to you know kind of talk about that and your experiences and all that you shared here. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you. All right.